Good morning. Well, this week, um, before we move on into Revelation 6, I want to give this caveat. Number one, if you're a first-time visitor with us today, um, I want to say, number one, I normally preach straight out of the Bible. I'm an expositor of the text, so today I'm going to not look like one, so I... uh, I don't apologize, but I just explain. Um, before we move into Revelation chapter six, we've we've just covered um, five chapters of Revelation as we study through this book, um, and we've covered seven churches and, and their individual issues and various things. And um, before we move on, I think it would do us well as a local church um, to take a look at who we are. In light of what we've just seen, and it would be a travesty to look at uh, seven particular churches that Jesus called to our attention and not look at ourselves as who we are and what do we do and why. Uh, So before we jump into Jesus opening up those seven seals that he was found worthy to open and and what that meant for those churches, uh, I think it would do us well to take a look and review the mission. Now today... We're going to have at some point, uh, when I get there, we're going to have some uh, PowerPoint slides. And I just want you to know you're about to be astounded and amazed. Um, as each slide moves, uh, if you would just make your astoundment and amazement known by going ooh and ah, it would be amazing. We're not there yet, but when we get there, um, you're going that's very good. I like that. Appreciate that. Uh, so if you could do that, uh, that would be awesome and have a little fun with it. But we really want to review who are we? What is our mission? In light of what we've just seen, because it's really, really important. Uh, We're moving, uh, we're eight years old uh, as a church. And uh, why Rome, Georgia, of all places? Um, Why come back here? Uh, Why do this? Uh, There are lots of other places that need churches. um, And I would argue Rome is one of them. And we'll take a look at that in just a minute. Jesus has given us a mission as a church. He's given his church in general a mission. Uh, our mission is the mission Jesus has given the church. Bottom line, um, our mission statement, which we're going to take a look at in just a few minutes, uh, is really a, a different way to state the Great Commission. The mission Jesus gave is the Great Commission. It's the mission of every church. It should be the mission and the <clears throat> substance of every single church. It's a ready-made mission statement. You don't need a church planners conference to come up with that. Jesus gave it to us already. I'll save you $500. God's called you to plant a church, just go Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and write that down. Maybe put it in your own words, restate it. Good to go. You can make your check out to Mitch Jolly. Uh, just kidding. Um, make it out to Three Rivers Community Church, and uh, we'll, we'll save you a lot of money. That mission has to get executed in every conceivable context. When Jesus gave us the Great Commission, The scope of that just wasn't where the local church landed. A church sells itself short if its mission is only where it is. That is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations. All nations. Not your chosen demographic inside your chosen town. That is a short-sighted, weak, Jesus, 
man-capable mission. We don't want a mission that we can do. You understand what I'm saying? If we can do it, it's not the mission. We can't do this. The mission Jesus gave us is only possible because he said, I will be with you. I'm with you to the end of the age, which means it's him working in vessels to take the gospel global from where that church happens to be. So we've been given a a mission, and it's got to be executed in every conceivable context. The gospel must be preached in all nations, and then the end comes, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14. So, this requires us to be in a fallen context while making the gospel clear in that context. This is done with people who are learning to be followers of Jesus. As a consequence, that task is not clean, it's messy. Church life is messy. If you don't know that, or haven't experienced that, you have not been adequately connected to the local church. Doing a mission that only Jesus can do with redeemed people inside a particular context is hard sledding. And as a consequence, when we read these Letters to these churches, we don't cast a disparaging eye, lest we be one of them. Unless we happen to be one of the two that did not receive a rebuke. And I I think I'm biased. I think we're there. We've got work to do. But we take the mission seriously. We open this book up by discovering some truths. We discover Jesus is the reigning king who rules and he walks among his churches. Chapter 1 shows us that Jesus is the resurrected king. We discovered this use of the word throne that shows up so many times in the book to to show us the reality that Jesus is the ruling king of the universe. There is no other king. There's no other. There's no one rules. Jesus rules. He is the king of the universe and he walks among his churches. Uh, Beautiful reality is he walks among his churches. He's here today. Holy Spirit... If you belong to Jesus, dwells in you, and he walks among his churches and he speaks. He knows. He is crystal clear on what's happening today in this place in your heart. He knows what only you have seen and think only you know. He walks among his churches. Jesus, number two. Sends correspondence to seven churches in Asia Minor to equip them for the fight they were in and the fight they were about to take on. We've discovered that we too are in a fight. And this message written to these churches is not just for them, but it is also for every church who would engage in the mission. That there is here for us the revealing of Jesus as the reigning king of the universe. And if we will keep our eyes fixed on him... And do his mission in his way. By his appointed means. We too will need this instruction. Because it will not be easy. It will cost life. It will cost money. It will be difficult. Third. We find out something about these churches. Ephesus is a doctrinally sound church. But they're not very loving. 
And that epitomizes most of our particular theological tradition. We're good reformed people, but we don't love people very much. And so we're jacked about our doctrine and not too jacked about individuals. And so uh, not us. I think I think we're a little better than that. But but by and large, just a good critique of our theological presuppositions is I think our, our, our tendencies to be hot on doctrine and cold on loving people. Um, and, and that was Ephesus issue. Smyrna is one of the two that received absolutely zero rebuke from Jesus. But they're encouraged to endure the suffering that they're about to undergo. Likewise, we've tasted difficulty where we work over there. Uh, we know what it's like to taste difficulty and failure here. And the encouragement to the church that would engage Jesus' mission is to be faithful. Hang on. Pergamum is a church that's highly spiritually engaged in a highly spiritually charged climate. They've even lost people to death for the faith, but they've had many who've turned to false teachings. And Jesus tells them that they run the risk of having him come in war against them. We're very clear on what the gospel is. We're very clear on orthodox Christian teaching. And so hopefully that will never be us. Thyatira is a church who loves and serves and patiently endures in the faith. And they're growing in their works. Their works, when Jesus wrote, were greater than when they first started. But they have this self-proclaimed prophetess among them who've led many people away from the faith and thought and practice. And Jesus threatens to come and send them into tribulation unless they repent. Sardis has a reputation for being alive. You ever just notice how Jesus does not mince words? You have a reputation for being alive, but you know, okay, maybe if we could hang out later and drink some coffee, we'll talk about it more. No, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Okay. Their works are incomplete, and Jesus threatens to come when they don't expect it and remove their lampstand. That's, that's hard to swallow. I'll remove your churchiness from you. You will no longer be a church. I will come and remove that from you. A devastating blow. I think it would do us and every church well to understand that just because you survive does not mean you are a church. Just because there's a budget running and staff is paid and people show up does not make it a church. There's a clear understanding of what the church is. And Jesus says, I can. I walk among my lampstands and I can remove the lampstand if need be. That's a fearful thing. We dare not stray from the mission. The lampstand can be removed. Philadelphia is the second church like Smyrna who receives zero rebuke. And Jesus is going to remind them that he opens and shuts doors for them. We, we learn this beautiful reality that the sovereign king of the universe opens doors of service. We can't open them. We don't make doors for ministry. That's arrogant. Jesus makes doors for ministry. He opens them. And the cool thing is nobody, not even the president, no senator, 
No elected official, no cranky church member can shut ministry doors. Jesus opens them and he shuts them alone. And so when Jesus opens the door of service, it stays open until he shuts it. That's cool. So Jesus reminds them that's him and he's given them this open door for ministry where they are. And Jesus tells them that he's going to make their tormentors come and acknowledge that Jesus loves them. They are patient and they're enduring. And Jesus tells them, and he's the only one he says this to, that he would keep them from the time of trial that's coming on the earth. One out of seven gets a promise to be kept from trial. We may, we may not be kept from trial. We haven't been, and we may not ever be again. There's no promise in the Scriptures that the church doing the mission would be kept from a trial. But that's, that's not there. If we engage in the mission, there will be trials, unless for some reason Jesus has said, no trials for you. But that's one out of seven. And Laodicea is just a mess. It's nothing good at all. We discovered last week what Jesus meant when he said, lukewarm to them, they're useless to the mission. They're useless to the mission. I would make an argument that a church who does nothing but local ministry is useless to the mission. If it doesn't do the mission, it is useless to the mission. Does that make sense? I mean, it, the 101st would have been no good if they decided to turn around and fly back to the States. And guard the coast. The mission was for them to drop into occupied territory and fight. That was the mission. And they could have said, but we're armed and we'll guard the coast. And Ike would have said, you're useless to the mission on the coast. I need you in Normandy. So to say, here's the mission. And for Jesus to say, you're useless. It's rough. They had everything, everything. They were monetarily resource laden. And Jesus says, you have nothing. We in the West must be very careful that that is not us. Because we have it all. We lack no resource. You hear me? We lack no resource. Lest we think that we're untouchable because we have plenty. Oh, we must be careful and understand that it is not Jesus who needs many resources. He doesn't ask for resources. He said, I want laborers to go for the fields are white for harvest. And so Laodicea is just a mess. And Jesus offers them intense fellowship if they will repent so why a new church in rome georgia <laughs> that's a great question because you asked that question here in rome um why a church here well let's unpack that question number one you say why a church what do you mean when you say church 
Thanksgiving building, you guys know I've told you the number one question we get that I get from people is, are you a real church? And the reason being is because you don't own a building, so therefore, are you a real church? No, we, we're play church. And that's my favorite answer to give to that question. There are lots of churches in Roman Floyd County buildings. There are lots of buildings, lots, tons of buildings. You go downtown and it's the Vatican, dude. You've got the Church of Scientology. You've got First Baptist. You've got uh, First United Methodist, First Pres. And, and you, dude, that's the Vatican downtown, man. I mean, this whole Holy Spirit is right there. And then you drive out the road and you've got churches here and there. And that, I mean, they're all over. If you want to find a place to go in a building, it's called a church. You will not have a problem here. So why another one? Well, here's the deal. Rome is not unchurched. Rome is underchurched. Because when you ask the question, what is the church? What is the church? Well, the answer to that question, it's a gospel preaching. Preaching the gospel in a way that the gospel is understood by the hearers. A baptizing, Lord's Supper administering body. That's the church. A gospel. And the implication of gospel is big. You guys know, I ask that question a lot. And I don't get the good answer. I don't get a gospel answer. And I ask that question of kids who go to area churches. What is the gospel? I get heaven. I get hell. I get lots of answers except what you've heard this morning. Gospel preaching. It is those who rightly understand the message of Scripture The gospel, the good news of who is God, who is man, who is Jesus, and what does he require? There are a lot of people who will say that, but they can't answer those questions. And some of them are ordained ministers. They don't know the gospel. It's sad, but it's true. Rome is not unchurched, it's underchurched. I would argue that many of those buildings have zero global impact. I would argue they have zero local impact. They survive. That is not a church. That's a harsh word. I understand that. But that is not a church. You guys understand what I mean there? You, you, you kind of roll with that. This is my hometown. I grew up in this. I get this. It wasn't until 20 that I heard the good news. How can that be? How can that be? Somebody said justification, and I said, just who, what, Justin? I don't know Justin. I'm sorry. What is that? I'm confused. It was 20 before somebody explained to me the cross. You you can't fail at that and be the church. You, You understand? Rome is not unchurched. It's underchurched. The church climate in Rome is one of a buffet, not of a mission. It depends on who you ask as to what is their flavor of the month. I know people who intentionally attend one church on Wednesday and another church on Sunday. And if they're really feeling spiritually dry, they go to another one on Sunday night that just happens to do Sunday night church, which is sinful. I mean, having church on Sunday night is sinful. I'm just kidding. It's really not. But you know what I mean? I'm just sorry. That was wrong. Yeah. 
That's how the church is viewed, as, as, as a consumable commodity in our town. What do you have to offer me that I need today? We don't give to you. We don't give to any of them, but boy, I sure do like that guy. He talks good, and they have a really good band on this night, and they're both good, so I'm just going to do both. Not engage in the mission at either one. Pillaging both by taking from those resources and giving nothing back. That's sin, y'all. I'm going to hate to just be blunt, but that's sin. The church is not a buffet for you to go and glean what you like off of it and then leave. We are not Golden Corral. This is not Western Sizzling. The mission of the church is make disciples of the nations and teach them to observe everything Jesus commanded. I would argue the Great Commission is not complete here because there's a lot of people who do not do what Jesus commanded. Making disciples means you teach people to do what Jesus said. There are many Christians who've yet to even read their Bibles through once. If you've not read it through once, how do you know how to do what he said? You don't, which means you've not been discipled. Which means the Great Commission is incomplete. Oh, there's work to be done here, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's need for churches here. I, I, I would argue this. This leads down into our mission. You get that slide up there and take a look at this. It's amazing. Look, oh, man. Oh, the, the shadow is gone. Dude, I put shadow in there where the letters reflected off the ground. It was beastly. I gave you Rocky Road. That's vanilla, but that's okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just totally kidding. I, I'm terrible at technology, so I'm making fun of myself. I'm awful at technology. Um, who is Three Rivers Community Church, and how do we address this need? Well, first thing I want to say here is we jump into who are we? Who, who, who are we? And if you go through our new members class, you're going to get this again. Those of you who've been through it, it's review, but it's important. We don't want to be the biggest church in Rome. We want to church Rome. And there's a difference in those two statements. As, a, as an observer of our town, um, this is just my observation. Every time a church hits 800 to 1,000, it blows up historically. My home church is one of those. I have a lot of theories as to why culturally. One of them is we're a very tribal town, believe it or not. We're a tribal culture. And this is going to sound trite, but it's true. And I'm a still living, breathing example of this. Because I default to it without thinking about it. Our tribes are our schools. Our tribes are our schools. I remember way, way, way back after I became a Christian in my home church, we were the Kusa Church. And I didn't think anything about it. I just thought, well, we're out that way, so we're the Kusa Church. West Rome was the Rome and Kusa Church and had a smattering from others. But by and large, Rome High and Kusa. Uh, and First Pres is the Darlington. You somehow heard some of you say it. You know it. You know it. You just never thought about it. You're the Darlington Church. And if you don't go to Darlington at First Pres, you can feel kind of funny. 
or the unity now, church. I don't know what we are. The Barry slash Shorter slash Freak Church. I don't know what we are, but we're a very tribal culture. And I think what ends up happening is when you put too many tribes that don't get along and have different spring breaks and different sets of values. I'm serious. That sounds trite, but it blows up. Historically, it blows up. I could make you a list of churches this long who got to a certain point and they stopped functioning and they slid all the way back down in attendance to 200 plus, maybe. You understand that we as a church are larger than the average church in Floyd County? That's crazy. We don't want to be the biggest church. My argument here is there will never be Possibly, don't quote me on this as fact, but it's just my opinion. There probably never will be a church sustainable above a thousand in attendance in Floyd County. Probably won't happen. Among a hundred thousand people, roughly, in our county, there will never be a church culturally that can sustain a thousand in attendance. I think there's a strategy for that. We'll get to that in just a minute. If we're going to church our area, if we're going to be involved in the local church being global, Doing the Great Commission. No doubt, there are going to be tough days ahead, Three Rivers. There are going to be tough days ahead. There are going to be people who come into our church who will be self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses. And they will have their charts and their presuppositions. And they will seek to lead many astray. There are going to be days in which it doesn't work right. There are going to be lean years. There are going to be bumpy roads. There's going to be agreement and disagreement. That's the nature of living together in community. We're going to fail. But if we keep gospel front and center, that binding agent of the good news of Jesus' person and work, on a global scale, making disciples of the nations, if we have that as our bond, we will move forward through all of the difficulty, through all of the attempts to mislead, and we will move forward into the advance of the kingdom. But if we do that, no doubt there will be bumpy days ahead. So know that. So who are we? Well, here's our mission. For the glory of God, we'll build a church, both local and global, by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. The statement is broken down into three parts. This next slide, which is uh, totally beastly because it's really broken down. Look at that. Amazing. Where are my oohs and ahs? It's terrible. Ooh, thank you. Very nice. Thank you for humoring me. Very good. You're just helping me not feel insecure about my technological abilities. Thank you. There's a doctrinal statement here. Jesus is the king of his church. He's the ruler of the nations. The Great Commission advances at his behest. And so what we want to say at the very beginning is that the mission of Jesus, John 17, on the cross is first and foremost 
that the Father would be exalted, that His justice would be displayed, that His glory would be manifest, and that in that there would be love shown to unrepentant sinners. That God would be put on display. The cross is first and foremost not a symbol of love, but it's a symbol of holiness, of perfection. And it is also a picture of love. But that love comes at the great cost of the execution of the Son of God by the Father. So that unrepentant sinners can look to Him and come into that mercy. But it starts with the glory and majesty of a holy God who was rebelled against and who was spit upon and despised by us. And so our mission is that God be glorified. The great theme of Scripture is the glory, the praise, the weight of this God of the Bible. Jesus stated His mission in Matthew 16. I will... Build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against that. Jesus is building his church. He's doing it from the Abrahamic covenant promise that all the families of the earth will be blessed. In this God of the Bible, Jesus said he was that God. And he comes to die in our place for our sin. So that he might send us to go preach this good news that he might through that build and bring together his church. He's building his church today. He's building the church in you who've been redeemed by the gospel. He's growing you into a a stronger follower of Christ. And you're part of that church. And there are people hearing the gospel global today for the first time. The name of Jesus is entering their ears. The message of the cross is, is translating into their culture. And they will believe And the church will be birthed there. He's building His church. And I want to tell you, that is the mission. That is the one full, proof, non-failable activity on the planet. That if you will join Him in that mission, there will be no failure. I'm in. Sign me up. Because everything else is not promised to succeed. Jesus doesn't promise a church who wants to do local ministry success. He doesn't promise that at all. He doesn't promise nonprofits success. The only thing that is a guaranteed doer is the advancement of the gospel through the church. Doesn't mean that God doesn't do good work. Through Christian nonprofits, but his vehicle is the church going global with the good news of the gospel. So, for the glory and praise of God, we want to build the church. We want to join him in this activity of Jesus making disciples that he might be praised. Well, what's the scope of that? It's local and global, it's both and simultaneously. The error in church thinking is that we have to first be effective here. And then when we're effective here and the budget's big enough, then we can begin thinking about doing missions in Mexico. No. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. Turn there. Let's just turn there. 
One of the reasons we didn't read scripture this morning like we normally do, somebody comes up and reads the passage I'm going to preach on is because I'm all over the place. Um, and so rather than reading 25 passages in which they would still be reading, we said, I'll read them. My tendency to default to exposition is going to be real hard not to just jump here and hang, but I can't. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will, notice this statement, you will be my witnesses. It's not like this, this, guys, this could work if you just hold your mouth just right. And adopt the right strategy. This might work. So hang on. No, he says, you will be my disciples. My witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice what he doesn't say. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. Is that what he says? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The implications that are massive, it's not one then the other, it's all of them now. And when they don't do it, he sends persecution and scatters them in Acts 8. And they all go preaching. Please don't make him scatter us. Just go preach the good news. Please. We don't want a stoning of Stephen because I don't want that to be me. So go preach. But he says, you will be my disciples in all these places at the same time. And so it's local and global. It's the local church established and at the same time having global tentacles. It is we are effective here and there at the same time. Which begins to challenge some cultural presuppositions, doesn't it? Like how are you going to do that? How you, where's the money going to come from? Well, good question. Good question. He always supplies when we do his mission. It may mean that you have to change how you function, like your elders may not be full-time paid elders. God forbid they work like you. We do. That doesn't mean we don't want to be full-time. Lord, please supply. You know, we, we also tire of working 60-hour weeks. And by God's grace, at some point, maybe that will happen for us. But you don't have that at the expense of the mission. Jesus didn't say, go get paid. And then when you have enough, do the mission. And my question is, strategically, why is the assumption that the elders need to be paid first? Why? I'm not saying that's wrong or evil. I just want to know why. Why do we assume that? For the glory of God, build a church local and global. Both at the same time. That's exactly how this church birthed. On our launch day, your elder, our executive pastor, our missions pastor, Brad Hankins, was on the ground in our UPG, not at the launch, setting the tone for who we would be and how we would do it. Local and global. Build the church. We've got to be locally and globally relevant. Well, how do we do that? What's the means? Because that's like jacked up. That's crazy, right? Yes, it is. How do we do that? 
by being radical followers of Jesus Christ. You got to understand what we mean when we say radical, okay? You got to understand this. When we say radical, we this was a crafted statement long before David Platt published his book. Great book, go read it. But I just want to say we said this before he did. I'm not kidding. We did. He got the book deal. We got the shaft. Hey, it's okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So you really should read the books. Incredible book. Where do we get this idea from? Does radical mean you got to get tatted up and wear your hair different and church planners got to wear goatees and be cool looking, right? Is that what radical means? Not at all. The word radical means to arise from and be connected to a root source. John 15. Jesus said, if you abide in me, my word abides in you. Ask what you will and it will be done for you. And then he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And he uses this illustration of a vine and branches. And he says, if you are connected to me, the question is never, will there be fruit? Never. If, if you're in me, there will, there will be fruit. There will be gospel Mission fruit. Why? Because you're in me and that's my mission. If you're in me, my mission flows through you. So Jesus says there's going to be fruit. If we are connected to and we arise from and grow out of Jesus and His mission, there will be gospel great commission fruit. If there's no gospel great commission fruit, guess what? Not connected to Jesus. It doesn't take a seminary degree to figure that out. It's just in the manual. It's written. And so we, we want to be people who are connected to Jesus. We want to be people who are intimately plugged in to the life of Christ through the gospel. So that the gospel juice of the Holy Spirit is coursing through our very veins so that the very essence of our living is gospel-saturated, missional, going to the nations from where you are living. As individuals, live together corporately. That's not stoppable. This is why, you hear me say this a lot, the churches in the East that have nothing outdo us. It's because they are intimately plugged into the vine. And fruit just comes off of them. We want to sit around and have a debate about what strategy to use. And they're just doing what Jesus said. And what I want to say is, when we stop attending four services and three Bible studies, and just start preaching the gospel, we may be like them. We dare not go to them and try to teach them how to do church. Please don't do that. We'll mess them up. My great desire is that one of them would come and disciple us on how to do church. We think we have resources and we're Laodicea. We got salve. We got conferences. We got Bible studies. And many of us have 20 translations. And we do nothing. I didn't want to scream today, but I'm screaming. We, we, we want to be people connected to Jesus. And out of that, we'll grow fruit. It's just the way it works. It's just the way it works. 
And we call that the radical life. Again, prior to the book. The radical life. You're going to be amazed by this. Check this out. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Getting those little short arrows to come off that circle was awful. I, I just want you to know, I got in the flesh there. I needed to repent. I had to repent of my sin because that was just terrible. <laughs> um, a person intimately connected to Jesus, radical followers of Jesus. This is a process I see lived out all through the book of Acts. I love Acts. Oh, I love Acts. The charismatic in me loves Acts. Oh, I love Acts. There's this process that just gets played out all through Acts. These people are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And guess what that produces? It produces this intimate connection to the Lord. When they pray, places are shaken physically. And dude, just exegetically, you've got to default to literal unless it's obvious it's not supposed to be. When these people prayed, God shook places. Well, number one, we don't pray. So that may attribute to some of the lack of shaking. But nonetheless, you know, a token prayer every now and then. Oh, God, rescue me. But other than that, it's sort of like, eh, whatever. I'm good, self-sufficient. These people were connected to Jesus. The Spirit of God dwelled in them. They were Holy Spirit gifted. And in that communion with God, they worshiped together. And what's interesting historically is they just didn't gather on the day of the resurrection. They gathered daily. Couldn't get enough of being together, bringing praise to the Father. They adhered to the teaching of the apostles and they were together in that communion. And when they were together, the Spirit of God moved mightily among them. Look at the Acts 13 and he's talking out loud. Set apart Barnabas and Saul. I've got to work for them. Oh, to come together and the Spirit of God speak to us that clearly. They were in communion with God. And what? There was fruit. There was gospel fruit. Because didn't Jesus say if we abide in Him, there will be much fruit? Right? They were, they were intimately connected. Holy Spirit. Do you, understand, do you understand Holy Spirit dwells in you? If you have bought into the gospel and believe that, He put you into the family by placing His Spirit in you. And He does not leave you. Ever. So if you ever feel like He's absent, that's a lie. Because the manual says he's not only near, he's in you. Live in that. Just enjoy that. Don't, don't let those words escape your ears this week. He's in you. You're in communion with him if you're in the gospel. If you're not in him, he's not in you. And you're desperately cut off from the life of God. And you need to repent and believe the gospel. But those people who have communion with God, something amazing happens. They get in community with each other. It's natural. It's just what happens. You got Holy Spirit in you. He's in me. Let's get together. It's what happens. Gospel-saturated community. Here we try to call that connect groups. You know, there's probably other good names you could call them, but whatever. Connect groups works for us. It's a place where we, who Holy Spirit dwells in us, we get together and we share life together. We sharpen each other. We don't always agree. 
We sometimes agree. We don't start at the same place theologically. But guess what? We're on a gospel mission and we're united in community. Why? Because we love the gospel and Holy Spirit dwells in us. And it's out of that community coming from communion with God in which the next really cool thing happens. And that is that gospel community started colliding with culture, didn't it? They were together and they were preaching and the establishment got hacked and started beating on some of them. And they started addressing issues and doing stuff and ministry was going. They were preaching. People were being transformed. Thousands were being saved. And next thing you know, we're into the book, chapter 28. Paul's in a Roman prison telling people about Jesus in Rome. Italy, from Jerusalem, were colliding with their culture. And guess what they needed when they collided? They needed to know the Lord was near. And there were times we read, Paul said, I was, I was there and I was strengthened by the Lord. And he came and his angel stood by me and strengthened me in that moment. And out of that connection to God, there was more community birth. And out of that community, they continued to collide with their culture. And this cycle of living, abiding in Jesus changed the world so much so one of the phrases is that these people who turned the world upside down have come here too. Oh, that that would be said of us. Crazy people are here. They have, they have transformed, they have brought change to Roman Floyd County and I don't know why in the heck, but they are here now. What are we going to do? Oh, that that would be said of us. Radical life, a life lived out and abiding in Jesus, communion with God the Father. You know what? I'm going to tell you something, guys. You don't need to go to another church to get teaching. We will teach you. You understand that? Please understand that. If you show up here and don't play like, you know, absent day or whatever, if your value system says, I value the people of God, then make it a priority to be here. We live in this really transient kind of thing in which we're like, yeah, whatever, it, it's a negotiable deal. It's like, oh, that's just, it's giveable, upable. I want to tell you something. Gathering with the people of God is not giveable, upable. There's a dynamic in the gathered people of God that if you're out of that, you miss. And we don't value that at all in our culture, do we? What we value is us. What we value is my schedule. What we value is my time. Those are our little idols that we hold as a culture. You want to know what you value? Great value assessment. It's a great task. Good discipleship task. Go home today and make a list of what you do. Those will be your idols. What do you do? How do you spend your time? Those are your idols. Those are your values. But what we've done in our culture is we've done this weird thing by we call what we believe in our head our values, but what we do are just sort of our habits. And what the Bible comes to the table with is what you do is what you believe. That's what belief is. It's what you do. We will teach you. We worship together corporately in song. Can't, you guys know the, the songs here? You don't hear that anywhere else, rarely, do you? Definitely don't hear it on Way FM, because Jesus is your boyfriend there. But here, if you listen to these songs, they are gospel-saturated, cross-filled songs that I hope 
I hope during the week those lyrics roll through you. They do me. I find myself driving and we're not listening. The boys and I aren't listening to Lecrae. I find myself singing these songs. They're just there. They're gospel saturated. The point is that we would come together with them and together sing them to the Lord. His work back to Him. And hopefully they will stick in your brain and your heart and find yourself during the week singing them to Him. Thank you. Gospel communion. Then we need community. It just circles back around. You need to be connected. If you're a member of this church and you are not connected to individuals, you need to prioritize your life around community. It is an idol of our culture. We don't value community. I am chief sinner. Confess to you. I epitomize my culture in that way better than anybody. I am me, myself, and I am independent. I'm self-sufficient. I'm a hard worker. I can make it. I can survive. And I'm good. And every single one of you, if you'll confess it, that's your mentality too. And it becomes a chore because why? The idol of time, the idol of money, the idol of many other things rob us of sweet fellowship with each other. Let's just be honest. One of the areas that we struggle with most here is community. We try. We don't do it well. And I don't think it's because we don't try. I think it's because it's a cultural battle we swim against the current with. It is a value in our culture that we don't do community. Right? I'm chief sinner. And you know what happens? If you... Oh, good Lord. 11.54. Micah, don't forget, hold up the clock and go... Jolly, shut up. You know what happens when we gorge on any one of these areas? The church gets out of balance. If we gorge on communion, we gorge on good teaching, we're downloading sermons incessantly, and we're listening and we're studying and we're going to Bible study after Bible study after Bible study and our hands never get to the plow of touching the lost community with the gospel, we become lukewarm, Laodicean, useless people in the mission. It does no good to be doctrinally astute and not engage with anyone who's never heard. I would say that's the chief sin in the Western church culture, particularly our genre of church. We love good teaching. And I say, amen. Go Ephesus. But Jesus said, you've lost that love, that first love of loving one another. You know what? If we love the gospel, we have to love the cultures who've never heard. Because when we get to the end game, Revelation 4 and 5, people from all tribes, tongues, nations, and languages are there. The end game is the gospel will complete globally. And it will be done through the means of people preaching the gospel to them. So our love for God has to be strong and our desire to go to those who have not heard has to be strong. We must take what we know and go do it. We're one of the only cultures in the world that can study something and be happy with having the information here. And never working itself out into action. Other churches and other cultures... It's inconceivable that you would do Bible study and not go practice what you just learned in the same act. They study for 30, and for 30 they go do what they learned. We study for hours and days and never touch unreached. When you gorge on community, and there's no connection to teaching and corporate worship, heresy comes out of that. 
when you get together and start working over scenarios and ignorance and folly, you come up with stuff that just gets off the charts. You get people who are going to do ministry but never connected to the local church. You end up with no accountability and disciples scattered all over a location not connected to the body and not connected to the global mission of God. But you put all those together, you've got an unstoppable force. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to be. We don't want to be one of those seven churches. We want to be a church that does Jesus' mission His way. And that's what we're striving to do. And I say to you in closing, if you want to be part of that, we might be your place. No. And we, at some point, we've got, we've got to multiply. If we... If we're never going to be able to sustain a thousand members, we're not going to be able to afford a building and keep doing what we're doing. Which means it may be better to have seven churches of 100 in our county as opposed to one of seven, 800. What would that look like? There's seven, three rivers, a hundred in size. That'd be beastly. Come on, radical. Our town's never seen anything like that. Sounds like fun to me. Are there challenges? Yeah. But if we do the mission God's way and we obey His commands, we follow the manual, my hunch is that Jesus won't fail us. Don't be worried about the time. We're going to sing to the Lord and respond to Him in song. And then we're going to have a chance to uh, hear anything that's coming up and uh, pray for some folks before they exit for the summer. So, uh, Lord Jesus... um, If I'm a fool, I'm a fool for your word and the gospel. And I am a fool for your word and for the gospel. I love, Father, I love the gospel. I love what you have done. Uh, I love what you've done in this broken vessel, a sinner. You have, you've taken a broken instrument and you've placed your spirit in it and you've raised it to life and and all I have to bring is thanks. So thank As we come to sing in response to you, that you would fill us with your spirit and cause us to sing praises to you. That our hearts would overflow in joy for what you've done for us. Pray that you would empower us, enable us, fill us with wisdom and discernment on how to better engage our culture here in Roman Floyd County and across the seas in our UPG. Pray, Father, that you would convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Grow us in unity and grow our ability to collide with our culture so that Jesus is exalted, the Father is glorified here and there. And we are intimately connected in the vine. We pray this in Jesus' name.